Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hi, I am your infected infectious diseases doctor, Dr. Santosh, with a cold. Oh, I was going to say, and I'm your local (laughs) ER doc, Dr. Ward. And we are joined this week by another one of our guests from last season, the master of disaster, Ernesto. How's everyone doing, team? He's he's green. It's okay to touch him. <laughs> <laughs> Just reach through your devices. That was an inside joke for anybody who listens to the first Masters of Disaster episode. <laughs> Go back, and then you can send us angry emails. <laughs> there, there's a holiday this month, one that people get pretty into. Uh, Santosh, do you know what it is? Is this a used car sales month? Well, it is that. It's also Groundhog Day, and there's a couple others, but the one I was referring to is, of course, Valentine's Day. Aww. Ugh, rolls eyes. I saw a petition to turn Valentine's Day into second Halloween. We totally should. I I like the idea of incorporating more costumes, and there's already candy in place. (laughs) (laughs) Well, last, uh, a few, I think two Valentine's Days ago, instead of candy... I left a bottle of booze hit in the oven for my ex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm single now. I guess I should have I should have known that uh, that oven had a pilot light on. <laughs> the warm and uncomfortable 120 degrees, which is not the which is not the serving temperature for a red wine. No, usually not. <laughs> 
You have to always watch out for old flames, Ward. Right. Oh, bam! No. <laughs> His passion still burns. This week, it is time for another one of our bi-monthly journal clubs. Yay! Woo-hoo. And... I thought it would be fun to do a Valentine's Day edition of Journal Club. So all of our stories today will tie in at least tangentially with that theme. See if you can figure out how. (laughs) And we had Ernesto join us because, Santosh, what was your reasoning? So Ernesto is our resident master of disaster. And as with all things in love and sex, disasters can happen, i.e. babies. Says the man who just had his second child. (laughs) Disaster! But also because Ernesto will be coming back to do another episode on disaster medicine with us in a few weeks. Because he's And and it just seemed like it'd be fun to have him on to join us. Yep. So, let's get started with the first story. Ernesto, do you want to do the intro for this story? How German scientists have created a tiny motor to help slow swimming sperm using a rotating magnetic field. That's right. It's a sperm bot. Yay! This story comes from the Nano Letters Journal, and it is not something that is yet commercially available. <laughs> but German scientists have developed a sperm bot that comes from Dresden, Germany. It's a metal fence micromotor made of special polymers tiny enough to fit around a spermatozoid's tail. This can then be radio or remote controls to get to the egg, (laughs) and once the motors have driven the sperm to the egg safely, they let go and presumably dissolve in the body? It doesn't really go into that. No, it's it's a teeny tiny piece of metal, so essentially it's just going to get lost somewhere in the uterus after it detaches because the the nucleus of the sperm will actually get in the head will get into the egg and the tail semi sheds not quite, but this piece of metal will hopefully still fall away um and will not be included inside of the baby. Well, in the studies right now, the scientist, it says the scientists are currently looking for a way to see the motor's movements inside the body so they can direct them toward the egg. So it's basically <laughs> like a remote control car that you lost, but you still have the working control. I'm going to do it by feel, boys. <laughs> <laughs> One of the interesting things about this that I was mentioning this story to another friend, and she brought up, well, why would somebody want to do this? Doesn't that mean you're just helping the derpy sperm get to the egg? <laughs> That's so mean. <laughs> well, you know what? I Rudy did fine with a proper helmet and yep. a lot of and encouragement. And I think oh. this is a physical manifestation of that encouragement. This is yeah. These little guys have heart. It's <laughs> exactly what it is. No, um, the the worry that she was getting to is if the sperm's tail is not working properly, does that mean that the genetic code inside that the sperm is going to deliver is also faulty? So you may have a higher risk of birth defect or congenital disease or genetic disease if you get a baby from this immotile or lowly motile sperm was her worry. 
there are actually a couple of diseases that are well known. One is called, uh, depending on who you talk to, Cartaginers or Cartagainers syndrome. And there is another one called immotile cilia, and there's another one uh, still called Bardet beetle syndrome, where there are genetic defects, and one of the problems is that cilia in the body or flagella don't beat. And we actually have cilia all over our body. We have uh, we have cilia in our respiratory tract, which helps clear away dust and particles. That's what helps kind of get mucus and crap out of our lungs. We have cilia beating in our intestinal tract, and we even have a modified cilia in our eyes, and those are your rods and cones. So the issue is, if you do have a genetic disorder, which is causing your boys not to swim, then yes, you're going to possibly be passing this on to your baby, and you may be really... Uh, raising your chances of having a child with a genetic defect. However, there are plenty of men out there who are healthy, who have plenty of normal genes, but for whatever reason, their boys don't swim. And if they were to have a child, they'd have a perfectly healthy little baby. And up until this little motor was invented, the way that you would have it is in vitro fertilization and you'd have to take that little sperm and that little guy who couldn't swim and actually inject him into the egg to kind of give him a little boost well, <laughs> and I, throw well, him I'm assuming it. this is also in vitro right we're y- y- the person is not shooting these sperm out of you know what I mean shooting out, <laughs> out of the, out of their own testes you're not going to put the motor in the testicles and then ejaculate chamber full automatic you, you know it's not going to no no but the hope is that actually you could avoid uh, t- having to harvest the egg and then inject the sperm into the egg what you could actually do is just harvest the sperm fit the motor onto the sperm and then feed the sperm into the uterus the way we do intrauterine fertilization and then take your remote control and swim them up to that egg that sounds like the most needlessly complicated remote control toy ever <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I, I think you're missing the point here josh this is many remote control cars <laughs> at the same time you really you are swarming with remote controlled vehicles yeah. <laughs> who's i want to know who the scientist is who's fitting each individual sperm with a tiny little motor oh, i guarantee the short straw for that drop i guarantee oh. you it's a grad student i guarantee you <laughs> it's some really rueful god, grad student they said it was gonna cure shit and, <laughs> and then yeah. they just called me Quit it. You're being silly. <laughs> oh, bam. <laughs> bam. <laughs> did, I, did, did that uh, pun seem tough? Did it seem like I was flagellating you? Oh, <laughs> I'm feeling flagellated for sure. All right. Quit swimming around the subject, Ness. Oh. <laughs> we might end up with egg on our face. <laughs> oh come on <laughs> all right yeah three doctors next. and a disaster professional next story <laughs> next story <laughs> are we moving on we're moving on we're just gonna switch <laughs> yeah. to the sperm switch story yeah.
Yes. Excellent segue, Ward. So <laughs> why don't you give us a little bit of info on the sperm switch? <laughs> so, I, you know, from the land of the uh, sperm robot, um, another scientist, a German inventor, uh, invented, another German inventor, another German carpenter, another German carpenter. Yeah. Is this another German carpenter, or is this one German? Carpenter? Oh, sorry, one German carpenter. The one German one. carpenter. Yeah, um, came up with a new invention, and that is to make a sperm switch, will, which will allow men to turn on and off their fertility by simply switching on a switch like you do with a light bulb. You know, so instead of instead of going through two surgeries where you you know the traditional way of doing a vasectomy and then doing a reversal and the reversals are you know that their success rates are not a hundred percent and you know they're, they're not fantastic. Days. That is correct. They're not so fantastic. let's let's back up for just a moment and explain to our listeners what exactly happens during a vasectomy. Oh, Ernesto, do you know what the difference is between a hose and the tube that connects the testes to the end of the penis? Uh, well, yeah. no. There's actually a vast deference. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, okay, yes, you, you snip yeah. the vast deference. There you go, yeah, so you actually, you make a small incision. Okay, everyone, please, if you're eating, put it down, relax. You make a small incision in the side of the scrotum. You isolate the vas deferens away from the blood vessels. And then you can do one of two things. You can either tie it off or you can snip it to separate it. Uh, the vas deferens is the, the tubule that contains sperm and only sperm, right? The testes are actually a series of tubes called seminal vesicles, and they culminate and hook up to this tube called the vas deferens. The vas deferens goes up and connects to the prostate, and the, from the prostate comes another tube which joins up with your urethra, and that's why men pee and ejaculate out of the same hole, um, which is different from women who have, you know, the v vaginal canal and their urethra. So, um, yeah, so we've got one. I'm so sorry I cracked up in the middle there. I went to the website just now for our famous sperm switch, and the first thing that I saw on the front page was the dimensions and a subtitle that said, as small as a gummy bear. <laughs> and believe it or not, a hundred percent vegan. What? <laughs> well, obviously, they took into account the fact that there are different strokes for different. <laughs> nice. uh, I love it. <laughs> so now that we've explained what a vasectomy is, what makes the sperm switch different than a vasectomy? Yeah, so this is actually a little clamp, which uh, it, it houses a tube and a switch, which is set on the external side, I believe, or can be put inside of the scrotum, such that you... It actually has three positions, and I'm wondering what the third position is, if it's like fertility on, fertility off, surprise me. Uh, fertility fully automatic. <laughs> yes, fully, fully automatic. <laughs> Fire sperm bots. <laughs> you actually have semi full and off and yeah, safety on. Um, so <laughs> but yes, it, so there's a little switch and the the little uh, I guess gummy bear sized device is put around the vas deferens and you hit a switch 
And the switch just creates pressure, just like um, applying a clamp onto the vas deferens. And when it is on there, purportedly the vas deferens is completely closed, so the sperm can't swim past there. Whenever you're ready to have babies, you just hit the switch. You're virile again. Now, what we've been dancing around is that this switch is located inside of the scrotum, if that had not been made obvious to you. Yes. So... One of the concerns I have after reading about this is they say, you know, you can flick the switch on, you can flick the switch off. Who decides, like, oh, it's Tuesday, I guess I'll be fertile today, reaches down to readjust their testicles and (laughs) accidentally flips this? Or what if during intercourse your partner is attempting to stimulate you and accidentally flips the switch on and you both think that you're on safety and instead you're on full automatic. <laughs> well, you know, with dangerous switches, they usually have these, like a red circle with a big cross, cross in right. it. You know, you know what I mean? Like danger. Do not Inside cross. your testicles? I would put that Well, that's what it is. It's a, it's a tactile switch. You reach down and you basically readjust a very specific part of your testicles and that's what triggers the switch. Well, so here's my question. Could you adjust the the tactile switch weight or pressure? You could. So actually, it does take a little bit of pressure. Like, you you have to have a little bit of volition to flip the switch, is what they're purporting to say on here. You can't flip... You can't flip it with a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, it's not like electricity. One second you turn the light on and it's bright in the room, and the next second you turn it off, it's dark. It's not that simple. Even with a vasectomy, they say after a vasectomy, you actually have to clear the existing inventory before yeah. you become sterile again. And that I think that's the same with, with this, this little is switch. The same. Oh, here we go, guys. I found it. So, the switch direction is simple to remember. To open the valve, push the switch down towards your abdomen from where the sperm cells would normally flow. This will push part of the switch closer to your abdomen into the valve body. In addition to this, you will also need to press the safety pin on the underside of the valve simultaneously. So you do have to have two Two hands free <laughs> to flip the switch to virile. Oh, like a gun. There's a safety lock. Yeah. Uh, well, a gun usually. I, I, Ernesto, can you tell us there are guns with simple safeties that you just flip on and off with a thumb. Are there other safeties where you actually have to hold one thing and push another? Well, it actually moves in the opposite direction. There are a number of handguns, like a Glocks or the Smith and Wesson M&Ps, where it's just by employing the manual of arms, you don't have to disengage a manual safety. There are other firearms where there is a manual safety before you can work the trigger. You have to push the safety and hit the trigger at the same time before you can fire. Now, I've been shooting a couple times with Ernesto, and if I remember my gun safety rules, my range rules, it's that always make sure your weapon is pointed downrange. <laughs> <laughs> and wear the proper safety gear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, I for one, I'm looking forward to next year's model, which has Bluetooth capabilities. <laughs> All joking aside, I think this is a very wonderful invention. It is good to put birth control in men's court, so to speak, as much as possible, and making it easy and reversible in this manner is a really, really wonderful service to offer the world. If you guys want to learn more, you can go to bimek, B-I-M-E-K dot com, and that's the last name of the gentleman, Clemens Bimek, 
who invented this little device. Or you can go to Facebook.com slash BMECSLV, and we'll post that on our site. It's supposed to be an outpatient surgery that takes only about 30 minutes. Same as a vasectomy, yeah. It's inserted in the open position, and once it's inserted, then you're taught how to close it in office. Right. Sperm will remain present in the ejaculatory fluids for about three months afterwards, or approximately 30 ejaculations. That seems like a low estimate. <laughs> you mean 30 in three months? Th- 30 in yeah. three months, yeah. 30 ejaculations in three months? <laughs> Or is that like a 10,000 miles? <laughs> or 10 years. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it says men are therefore encouraged to see a urologist for analysis after one month to ensure all sperm is out of the system <laughs> before relying on it for contraceptive purposes. Okay, I think that's an either or, not a yeah. <laughs> three months to 30 ejaculations. Right. And always, ladies and gentlemen, this does not prevent the transmission of any sexually transmitted infections. So, no glove, no love. Well, Santosh, what if your penis is bionic? <laughs> well, and you get your oil changed every 10,000 miles. No, wait. <laughs> oh. Rotate the tie. Loop oh. job just slips right in, doesn't it? it oh, absolutely. <laughs> we actually have an update on, on our gentleman with the bionic penis. So, why don't you give us a quick update on it? Let's refresh our memory. Sure. Who is he? Yeah. Why does he have a bionic penis? And then give us the update. Right. Mohammed Abad, who is a gentleman in England, he was unfortunately maimed. He was hurt. And he needed a replacement penis. And so he actually got a bionic penis, which is a merging of man and machine. And he could hit a little button to get erect. It was implanted on the side of his scrotum. And, of course, the... Proof is in the pudding, <laughs> and for this for this thing to be truly called a success, he needed to take this thing out on the road. He needed to take it out for a test drive. Take so it to speak. out. There you go. Exactly. So we we've now done a complete engine overhaul. He actually made it very public that he found a sex worker by the working name Charlotte Rose. She decided to provide <laughs> her services. Pro bono. (laughs) (laughs) He, unfortunately, though, he had to put off his test drive. I believe we've worked our way so far from motorized sperm to uh, motorized balls to (laughs) bionic penis. We're just, we're slowly building a sex bot from the ground up. (laughs) Wait, I think we're building the wrong gender sex bot, though, guys. No, it would appear that way for us. Yes, for yeah. Well, Well, I don't know. (laughs) Well, you know. Well, you know. There's guys out there who would appreciate this. Hey, you know what? We're all men of a certain age. This is welcome to middle age. (laughs) We, you never know when you might need it. Ward brings up an excellent point. So they have actually done an interview with a woman who has been intimate with somebody who does have one of these penile implants, these bionic penile implants. Now, Ahmad is special in that he's the first one that uh, I believe there was some design feature, and I want to say titanium steel, but I'd be lying. (laughs) However, they did an interview. (laughs) Right, solar powered. Uh, 
They did an interview with a woman entitled, This is what it's like to have sex with a penile implant. Uh, And the woman described it as, Here's what it was like to feel a bionic boner. (laughs) There we go. Can we just call it a bioner? (laughs) (laughs) Leaving out some of the details and just skipping to the part that people are interested in. She said when the gentleman was ready to start, he grabbed his genitalia and did about 20 or so squeeze pumps, taking thumb and forefinger and squeezing a grape-like bulb underneath his scrotum. In a few seconds, his penis inflated, and the com- the the comparison she made was like one of those balloon animals at a carnival. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, so this is, but this is something that we had had for a while, which was a pump-assisted erection. And there is another type of technology which is also like a crank. Which imagine putting a stop it, stop it. It's imagine putting a snake light. Uh, if you if you guys have ever seen a snake light, and you put a snake light into the penis so that you just crank it up, right? Or crank it out. Crank. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Get out. <laughs> Isn't there also a click system where they, you, you kind of... That's the same as the snake light. There's, it it, it actually light. ratchets up. It goes click, 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 click. Oh, I see, I see. Now, with this one, a simple pump of a separate valve would release the saline solution back into the reservoir and let the bionic boner subside. The main difference between the existing pump system and the bionic one is that uh, Mr. Ahmad does it all through remote control. You know, that's one of our favorite stories to follow is the bionic penis as well as the head transplants, but we'll save our head transplant update for another episode Right. and move on to our next story. Now, this is an interesting one because, Santosh, you and I just had an opportunity to do an entire episode on infertility with a fertility consultant, Stephanie Levich, and I encourage everyone to go back and take a listen to that. Now there, she spoke mostly about surrogacy and a little bit about in vitro fertilization, but this story brought in something that at first did not sound all that impressive to me, and then going a little more in depth became much more interesting. The headline, and this is from New Scientist of this year, is that women can now incubate in vitro fertilization embryos in their own bodies. When I first read that, I thought, yeah, of course they yeah, can. Of it's course, yeah. pregnancy. <laughs> 
they're not actually put into the uterus. It's it's done with this device called InvoCell, which is cylindrical in shape, so it is, in fact, a little test tube that's implanted and held in the vagina by a flexible diaphragm. The embryos are kept in an inner chamber at body temperature, and gases such as carbon dioxide and oxygen can just diffuse in and out at levels matching natural fertilization. At about five days, the embryos grow into balls of about 100 cells. The device is then removed. Doctors choose the embryo that looks the healthiest to implant and then puts that embryo back in, but this time in the uterus where it's supposed to be. People may think, oh, so what? You take a five-day blastocyst, it's the technical term for that little ball of cells, and instead of going from a test tube into the uterus, you go from inside of the vagina into the uterus. Well, there are a few things which are not entirely proven, but there's a good amount of evidence to show that there is such a thing called maternal imprinting, and that's not just the personality or the vibe of the mom, but real molecular and genetic changes that happen while the baby is growing. So as much closeness with the mom as possible is a very, very good thing. So hopefully, as long as the technology holds up, having the first part of the life, the first five days, grow up near the mom, albeit in the vaginal canal in this little test tube, might be one better step over the test tube growth. Well, in addition to the imprinting, Santosh, this really decreases the overall cost. A lot of the cost that drives up in vitro fertilization is that you have to set up incubators to mimic the body. They have to be regularly monitored to ensure embryos get the right amounts of gas, that conditions are optimal. So the gentleman who carried this out, which is Kevin Duty in Bedford, Texas, <laughs> Sorry. says, I did it too. Yeah. <laughs> so because Mr. Duty says the woman's body acts as a natural incubator, okay. the expensive equipment that you see in traditional labs isn't needed, and he suggests this could be used for relatively uncomplicated in vitro fertilization cases in clinics with simpler equipment or in countries where people can't afford standard in vitro fertilization, where, and he, he thinks it would, once perfected, it would have the cost per cycle about 16,000 to 20,000 in the U.S., which would be a pretty substantial price drop. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So this is being tested right now in Bogota, Colombia, and in Bedford, Texas, <laughs> and the manufacturers were given permission to sell it in the U.S. in November of 2015, although it has still not made it much beyond the clinical trial stage. Right. Medical technology holdups like this are quite common because we take things very very carefully here in the U.S., even more so than some parts of South America and the European Union. So we're a little overly hesitant about things sometimes, which is good. And for more information on that, please go back and and check out our episode, Oh, Novaries, on (laughs) infertility. Well, you know, the stakes are pretty high. I mean, with every in vitro attempt, it's, you know, it costs in the tens of thousands of dollars. And when... Apparently, so far, right now, according to this study, the success rate is slightly lower with this new technique, right? So it's, right. it would be a hard sell to say, hey, you know what, it's going to be tens of thousands of dollars anyways, and we're going to lower the chances, but we also lower the cost by a few thousand dollars. You know what I mean? 
Well, I think the chances are lower at this point because it's still relatively untested. Right. right. New technology always takes a while to round out properly. But I think I see a lot of potential with this with this new technique as well. Well, so far we've covered a whole host of robotics in tangential sexual terms. <laughs> <laughs> we've focused so much on integrating technology into our bodies and making ourselves sex cyborgs. I thought it would be nice to close out this week's Journal Club with a story about a woman who does things the old-fashioned way. A little whining and dining, <laughs> making making the things that are important to you by hand. <laughs> now, have any of you have, know the story I'm talking about? Are you familiar with where I'm going with this? The uh, you're, you're not talking about that she make it with her hands, but really that she feels it in her gut, huh? It's true. It's a you know, love is a gut feeling, and apparently so is alcohol. Yeah. No. Th- this is it's one of my favorite stories because it involves the microbiome, which I absolutely love. And uh, on a side note, before we start on this, the the story is usually told that we're ninety percent bacteria, only ten percent ourselves. That gap might actually be smaller than previously thought, but it still goes to show that we have a lot of little little microbes which make up who we are. One of these microbes, occasionally, is a little yeast in the gastrointestinal sac- system called Saccharomyces cerevisiae. Ernesto, this is somebody who probably would have come through a place like your hospital first or ward. You guys would have been the initial line of defense. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This is a woman who was pulled over and arrested for drunk driving, tested positive on the breathalyzer, and continued to insist till she was blue in the face (laughs) to everyone involved that she had not had anything at all to drink that entire day, and in fact abstained from alcohol on a regular basis despite all apparent evidence to the contrary. (laughs) By the way, she was drunk. Yes, alcohol content over four times the legal limit. Right, and so there was alcohol in her bloodstream, and she was actually impaired. Now, for most people, I think we all know how we'd react to this. I'm not drunk. <laughs> I haven't had a drink all day. <laughs> not as think as you drunk I am. <laughs> but you say this was not a simple case of denial. No, no. In fact, the woman was, although drunk, had not had a single bit of alcohol. She had auto-brewery syndrome or gut fermentation syndrome, and she did not know it until after this arrest. She went to a doctor to get investigated and went back and took this claim to court and was then reimbursed for the ticket and all the related legal fees. Okay, I know what all of you people are thinking out there in Radio Land. You're about to take your DUI ticket straight to your doctor. (laughs) Don't do it. (laughs) This is a very rare disease, and I'm almost certainly you don't have it, drunkie. But she also didn't drink. I mean, if she's got a DUI, she drank. (laughs) Do not come to me for... <laughs> alcohol. No, no, so, no. But they might, they might try to get that diagnosis. It's like, hey, Doctor Ward, you know, you think you could uh, sign right, right here? <laughs> so this condition actually causes the human digestive system to produce 
intoxicating quantities of ethanol, specifically the yeast present in the GI system is called Saccharomyces cerevisiae, and that's the one that's been identified in all the people who have this. Now, interestingly enough, this condition was first identified back in the 70s in Japan, and most of the patients who came in were noted to have chronic yeast infections with that abnormal liver enzyme that we that we were all taught in medical school showed that Asians can't break down alcohol as well. Right. Now, although most humans, in fact all humans, we all produce a little bit of alcohol with the yeast in our digestive systems, interacts with our carbohydrate and sugar from our food, the patients in Japan came to light because with their inability to break down alcohol and their rice-heavy, carbohydrate-rich diet, they produced far more than a regular person. And you had a bunch of Japanese businessmen and women wandering around completely drunk after having nothing more than probably a few sushi rolls too many. <laughs> That's true. And so this is a biochemical pathway that a lot of bacteria and fungi have. And this is actually, in fact, how we make beer and wine is we actually, and for those of you who don't know this, I'm terribly sorry to show this, but you actually expose sugars to these fermenting bacteria and yeast. And those yeast and bacteria go to work and turn the sugars into alcohol. Have you guys brewed uh, beer yourselves? Oh, of course. Right. Yep. And that's actually the yeast you use. It is Saccharomyces cerevisiae. So it is. It's like, a famous like the word cerveza, it's Saccharomyces yeah. cerevisiae for that reason. If you've brewed beer, that beer brewing tank looks actually a lot like a stomach. And you put, <laughs> you know, these sugary saps, you know, barley, hops, and keep it at a warm temperature. And there you go. Before you know it, you have, you have liquor. <laughs> so she's actually only the fourth documented person in the U.S. to be diagnosed with these with this disease, and she was monitored for 24 hours in a hospital in Ohio to confirm the condition's existence, and the doctor himself said, despite the fact she did not drink a drop of alcohol all day, by dusk her body was shown to be producing all by itself with a blood alcohol content of 0.36 without drinking any alcoholic beverages. So she was then switched to a low-carbohydrate diet to control the problem and has not had any further issues since. And she's lost 20 pounds! Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's not true. The second part is just way not true. So I thought, you know, this is it's such a rare condition, but I thought it warranted a mention because wouldn't it be nice if all you had to make for your significant other was... A lovely bowl of rice. <laughs> oh my god, that would be so lovely! Like instead of buying a bottle of champagne, just a grape. Yeah. I mean, Here you go. Think of it, Ward. You could have just left a casserole in the oven, and everything would have been fine. Fine, fine wine. Oh, by the uh. way, you know the the layman's term term yeast. In this case, it's a different yeast from our, you know, jock itch or, you know, vaginal yeast infections. Quite different, um, absolutely. Right. Yes. That's, th this is Saccharomyces cerevisiae, and the yeast that infects, you know, vaginas and penises and, you know, folds, are, that's a candida albicans. And that, that yeast does not, don't try to put that stuff in. No. <laughs> right? <laughs> to, to, to make beer out of that, that's not going to work. 
No, not at all. <laughs> no, I'm just shuddering, thinking of people coming into the ER saying, I tried to make beer with my own yeast, and it just didn't work. <laughs> it's, it's terrible. And, well, you know, oh, we're going to start something viral. Well, it's going to be I, all our damn fault. When I was a budding medical student, I always got... Ah, uh, budding. Like <laughs> yeast, budding, yes. When I was a budding medical student, I, I, I always got confused about the probiotics called lactobacillus. Right. It, it is the back primary bacterium in yogurt. Also, the predominant probiotic in vaginas. It, it lactobacillus. It's I believe it's a different species, but it's one of the dominant normal vaginal flora. Yes. Uh, yeah, I always wondered if you can make yogurt, but no. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's staying in. Josh, is that somebody staying did. in? Somebody did. Somebody did. Yeah. It is now. Wait, what, what do you mean? Some, are you being serious, Ness? No, I'm being very serious. A lady by the name of Cecilia Westbrook makes, okay. not made, makes yogurt with her own vaginal bacteria. Oh, so in a in an oven. But she she takes the culture, the bacterial culture from her vagina. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so Well, that's not unheard of, actually. I That I believe in it. Uh, I don't want to say it's gross, but uh, maybe it's gross. It might be gross. It actually comes from, it, her name is Cecilia Westbrook, yeah. and there's an article in the Huffington Post from February of 2015 called How to Make Breakfast with Your Vagina. <laughs> and I, I think we should tell everyone listening that there's nothing quote-unquote vaginal about the yogurt. It is purified bacteria that comes out of there, the culture. So once the milk has been boiled and the yogurt's been made, it's just yogurt. Now, I should I should mention she did not do this to set herself up in competition with Danon and Yoplait. <laughs> uh, she is... If you flip the lid over, does it... Can you donate to breast cancer? <laughs> she is an MD-PhD student and the University of Wisconsin, and she did it because there was not a lot known about vaginal flora. So she wanted to do studies to see what the information could be done. So she used three bowls, one with yogurt made with a traditional quarter, uh, starter culture, one with just plain milk, one with her own bodily contribution. There you go. And she extracted it with a wooden spoon. Okay. And studied what bacteria were present in each of the cultures at the end and probably had a fantastic thesis paper. <laughs> does, does it does is there any mention of how it tastes? I mean, but the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Right. <laughs> and and she had to do that to determine the success of her hypothesis sure. and she described the yogurt as having a sour taste like Indian yogurt that went well with blueberries. She was pleased enough to eat a second bowl and has not suffered any ill effects, but food safety experts are less than thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. No, if, I, I, and I don't know why, I, you know, I, I understand, you know, that Everyone in food safety kind of freaks out about every little thing, and I, I understand. But in truth, you know, in order to make yogurt, the milk is boiled to a very, very high temperature. Um, unless she had a true pathogenic bacteria in there, like salmonella, and even then, that would die, you know, kind of in the fermentation process. But yeah, you, I, I don't 
think she was at huge risk. Well, I, I'd imagine that different people's biome would prov- would create a different type of yogurt. I mean, oh yeah, absolutely, we were, you're right. That's we not what they mean by Greek yogurt. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of my favorite, all, uh, uh, one of my favorite, one of my favorite as a side in beers is Britannomyces, and it typically creates a kind of lighter, fruity, sour taste in beers. So I'm guessing that different people's yeast composition or bacterial composition would create a different tape type of yogurt. Yeah, and it, it also goes along with what kind of milk you use, so the fat content and the sugar content in the milk, along with uh, the bacteria itself, because the byproducts of the breakdown that you get in the process of making your liquor or your yogurt are going to be a different cocktail of molecules. So, cocktail. Uh. Okay. So, but it is. It's, it's going to be a different uh, group of molecules that comes out, which aside from the ethanol for the alcohol and the sugars and the, the broken down products of the lactose for the yogurt, there are going to be a number of other small molecules that come out of there during the, the fermentation process and the breaking process. So, yes, absolutely, the different biome or the different, every every different vagina would make a different yogurt for sure. And this is not something we are advocating. Oh, this was simply provided for educational purposes. Yes. Now, one of the last things I just want to mention before we do our sign-off is something that if I don't address it, I know someone's going to ask why. <laughs> And I'm sure that there's people out there thinking right now, are they going to talk about what is the nutritional or protein or calorie content of sperm? Because it's something we've all been hearing since high school and all those. There's no fancy story with this. I'm simply going to state right out, it's already been done, studies have been taken, and a normal male ejaculation, about one teaspoon's worth, contains between 5 and 25 calories and a minimal amount of protein. So all the college stories, all the things, you cannot survive on a diet of nothing but sperm, no matter oh, how many no. you're, how many times you're trying to convince whoever you're with. <laughs> well, I mean, there is the fact that it is all natural and freshly squeezed. <laughs> Oh, God. So is orange juice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in the case of the bionic penis, it's not all natural. (laughs) There's definitely some processing there. Oh, and if you turn the the switch on, it'll be skin milk. It'll be like skin milk. (laughs) For the first first few, up until it kind of ripened, yes. Oh, that's right. I can't do this anymore. It is... <laughs> oh, poor guy. It's way too late for Josh right now. <laughs> uh... <laughs> so these are some of the fun facts that we get to come across, and it would be just irresponsible of us not to share them with you. That, however, brings to a conclusion our Valentine's Day Journal Club episode of Travel Medicine Podcast. If you liked what you heard, you were amused by it, you can find, rate us, and review us on iTunes, on Stitcher, or wherever you happen to locate your podcasts. Please leave us comments on Facebook at Travel Medicine Podcast, at facebook.com slash Travel Medicine Podcast. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Ledger. 
and we are a weekly show. And if you have not yet listened to our radio drama, give it a try. Let us know what you think. There will be one episode each month until we complete the story, and there is a choose-your-own-adventure component. So we would love to get your feedback and hear what everybody thinks. Until then, Santoshi, you usually like to give a shout-out to the CDC. Is there anything that you want to say to them this I, week? I Believe it or not, I have nothing. I don't think the CDC at this time is involved with uh, sperm motors <laughs> or bionic pinesia, as Louis C.K. loves to call it. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I don't believe that the CDC is involved in a a, a single <laughs> topic that we covered today, which is rare, but uh, it is true. I will I will recapitulate though. Uh, no glove, no love. <laughs> Please take care of yourselves. Yes. Yes. However you're celebrating this weekend with whomever you're celebrating this weekend, please make sure that you are safe, that you use all the proper protection, and that you have a good time. Yes. No disasters. No disasters. No disasters. Remember, people, accidents cause babies. It's don't drink in park. Accidents Accidents cause cause people. people. (laughs) All right. So, Ernesto, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you had fun. And... We will see you again next week for our follow-up to Disaster Medicine. Looking forward to it. Yay, Disasters Part (laughs) 2. And until next time, as always, happy travels. Bye. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.